All right, well, please turn to me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll read verses 26 to 28, but we will focus on 27 and 28 today, and we'll finish chapter 7 this morning. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 26. There the word of Christ says this. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your word, Lord, the word of the oath, has appointed your son as the high priest of the new covenant, Lord, as the high priest over the household of God. And Lord, we see that in Jesus Christ, everything that could not be accomplished for us by the law and by those priests who served under the law, Lord, all of it is now available to us through his mediation and through the offering of his body once for all. So, Lord, may we have great confidence that we who have fled to you for refuge, Lord, who have fled to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we might have a great anchor for our souls, Lord, one that is sure and steadfast, Lord, one that is, uh, moves beyond this present life, Lord, that looks into the very heavens itself, beyond the veil where Jesus Christ is now seated at your right hand, interceding for us. Lord, teach us that our standing before you, Lord, it is fixed, it is certain, it is unchanging and immovable when we are reconciled to you through the death of your Son. So, Father, give to us a greater knowledge, a greater understanding of our salvation. Lord, that we might love you, Lord, that we might worship you, that we might serve you. Lord, that our whole lives might be offered to you as an offering of thanksgiving. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're coming here to the end of Hebrews 7 today, where the apostle has been displaying the superiority of Jesus Christ as high priest over and above those high priests who served under the law from the family of Aaron. We know that without a high priest... Sinners cannot have any access to God. This was clearly taught and understood even by those under the law. But it is not enough that we simply have any person occupying this office. Not any person will do, but the office, if it's going to actually result in the salvation of sinners. If the high priest is going to bring about full atonement and make the sinners perfect in the sight of God, if he's going to cleanse our conscience from dead works then it must be done by a certain high priest, right? These are things that the high priest that served under the law could never accomplish for the people. We need a greater high priest than Aaron, and we need a high priest of a different kind and of a different order than those that were established under the law of Moses. This is what he's proving in Hebrews chapter 7, proving to these Hebrew Christians who are at this point being tempted to forsake the priesthood of Christ, to reject it, and to return to the priesthood of Aaron. And he's showing them that this is the height of folly and madness. For to do so would be to cut oneself off 
from salvation. And also, not only is it the height of folly and madness, it is contrary to the entire message of the Scriptures, even the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, even the law of Moses, anticipated the uh, abolition of the Levitical priesthood in the establishment of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That there was a time when the former commandment would be set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, and a better hope would be ushered in by which we would draw near to God. And it is this better hope that would serve as the foundation, as the basis for which sinners can draw near to God. This better hope is the priesthood of Jesus Christ, his ministry on our behalf. He and he alone can fill the office of the high priest with power so that the office actually accomplishes what it is meant to do among the people of God. And so last week in verse 26, we saw that it was fitting for us to have such a high priest as our Lord Jesus Christ. Only he as high priest can save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Only a high priest who is holy who is innocent, who is undefiled, who is separated from sinners, who is exalted above the heavens. All of these qualifications must be found in our high priest if he is going to save us to the uttermost. And these qualities can only be found in one person, only in Jesus Christ. Aaron and his descendants who served at the altar under the old covenant, they were lacking in every single way. They were not holy. They were not innocent. They were not undefiled. They were not separated from sinners. They were not exalted above the heavens, but rather they were weak, frail, mortal, sinful men. They possessed an unholy nature from their birth. They were guilty as transgressors of the law of God. They were polluted with the defilement of sin. They shared a common lot with sinners. They were men born of this earth, who were bound to this earth, who died on this earth, were buried in the earth, and now their bodies decay on this earth to this day. And so they are in no way fit to serve as high priests over the household of God. This is what he is proving here. And no one reading scripture or looking at reality could ever desire the priesthood of Aaron over the priesthood of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save us, and this is what we must be convinced of, that we would go to Christ and Christ alone for the full forgiveness of our sins. So let's pick up today in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. Hebrews 7, 27, here speaking of Jesus Christ. He says, Who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Right As a result of the qualifications listed in verse 26, that Jesus is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, because of his perfect righteousness, because of his moral purity, he is without spot, he is without blemish, without any stain of sin. Because of this, there are certain things that were true of the Levitical priests that are not true of Jesus. Certain components in the way, the order, the method of their ministry as high priests that do not apply to Jesus Christ. The Levitical priests were mortal men. They were men of weakness, men of sin. And because of this, there were certain things that they were obligated to do. But because Jesus does not have any of the moral defects that these priests had. He is exempt from them. It is his person in the perfection of his holy nature 
the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, this is what makes him fit to serve as high priest and exempts him from so many elements that were required by the Levitical priest. And here, he makes a threefold distinction. The first is this, the frequency of the offerings under the old covenant. Notice there in 27, he says, he, Jesus, does not need daily, does not need daily. Because the offerings sacrificed under the law could not actually take away sin, there was a need for them to be often repeated, for it to be done over and over and over again, day after day after day. Whatever the sacrifice required, whatever the prescription related to, whether that be something daily or something yearly, whatever it was, it had to be constantly repeated over and over again. So with the daily sacrifices, how often did they have to do them? Every single day. And with those yearly sacrifices, they had to do them like on the Day of Atonement. Every single year, that day would come and there was a necessity for this sacrifice to be offered again and again and again. And the one thing that was certain with these sacrifices, so long as that covenant stood in force, there was a never-ending rotation of sin and sacrifice. In this cycle they were under because those sacrifices could never take away the sins of the people. And therefore, they had to be repeated frequently, often, over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews 10, verse 11. This is what he says there. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The reason that he must offer them time after time is because they cannot take away sins. So the first thing that is not true of Jesus, that was true of them, is the frequency of their offerings. He does not need to make daily offerings for sin. Secondly, is the offering itself. Notice there in 27, he says, like those priests to offer up sacrifices. The priest under the old covenant offered up sacrifices for sins. And these sacrifices were the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of animals for the sins of the people. The sacrifice was separate. It was different than the priest himself. They were offering up something that was distinct from them. We know that the very purpose, according to Hebrews 5, the very purpose of the high priest is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest must have something to offer to God on behalf of the sinner. Well, in the case of Aaron and his descendants, what did they have to offer God? What could they, from their own person, offer to God for the sacrifice for the sins of the people? Nothing. They had absolutely nothing. They were completely bankrupt. They were completely bereft of anything at all. And therefore, because they had nothing in themselves to offer to God, God commanded them to offer animals, to offer the blood of animals for the sins of the people. But those animals could never take away sin. They could never atone for the sins of the people. For how can a brute beast bring satisfaction for the sins of man? The life of the animal is of an inferior kind. It is inferior to the life of a man because animals were not created in the image of God. 
Men were created in the image of God, but not bulls, not goats, and not lambs. How could the blood of an inferior animal satisfy God's justice against the sins of man? How could the animal be a suitable substitute for the life of a man? It would be like a person owing you a million dollars and paying you a million pesos. A million pesos is not the same as a million dollars because it is an inferior form of currency. It's not a one-to-one correlation. And in the same way, there is not a one-to-one correlation between the life of an animal and the life of a man. These things are inferior. Therefore, they cannot serve as a suitable sacrifice for sins. This is why they repeated daily over and over and over again, because they can never take away sins, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. The offerings of the old covenant were instructive only. They were teaching tools, but they could never accomplish actual atonement and the forgiveness of sins. The people needed to be taught that sacrifice was necessary for the forgiveness of sins, And since Aaron and his descendants had nothing to offer, then God let them borrow from the lesser creatures in order to have an offering to present to God. But all of these things were shadows and types. They were not the reality. They could never actually bring about atonement. And then the third difference is the cause of the offering. The cause of the offering. First, there is the frequency Secondly, there is the thing offered. They offered animals. And then why did they need to offer animals? Notice what he says in 27. First, for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. Whenever Aaron went into the temple and whenever he went to perform his duties as high priest, the first sacrifice he was required to offer was for who? For himself. For himself. Before he could turn his attention Before he could serve on behalf of the people, he had to first attend to his own sins before he could do so for the people. This shows the weakness of the Levitical priest. How could they ever accomplish atonement for sins when they themselves are sinners, when they themselves have the guilt of sin? How are they fit to stand as a representative between God and the people when they need to make offerings for their own sins before they can even do so on behalf of the people? The high priest under the old covenant was required to offer for his own sins for two reasons. First, because he was a very real sinner. Aaron and all of his descendants were sinful men. Even those that were true believers among them still remained sinful men who still had a flesh, they were not perfect men. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Ecclesiastes 7, 20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Is that true of Aaron? Absolutely. He was not a righteous man. He did not do good perfectly, and he continued to sin. And this is why there was this provision made for the sins of the priests, to deal with their own sins. It says in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3, If the anointed priest sins, so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. So he must first offer for his own sins because he is indeed a very real sinner. But then secondly, it was to teach. 
It was to teach and to instruct the people for the need of a sinless high priest. The symbolic or the ceremonial removal of the sin of the high priest before offering for the sins of the people was that he might better represent the priesthood of Jesus Christ, who would be without any sin. This is the type of priest that we need who will actually be able to save us from our sins. So the high priest under the law first offered sacrifices for his own sins, and only afterwards was he to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. This was the method and the order, himself first and then for the people. And all of this was necessary because of his weaknesses. This is a weak system. It is a useless system as to the perfecting of the people. This is why he said earlier in chapter 7 that the law makes nothing perfect. There is the setting aside of the former commandment because of its weakness and its uselessness. Can that law perfect the people? Can it remove their sins? Can it make full atonement? Can it give us the right to draw near to God? No. So what's the point of this high priest if they cannot make the people perfect? This is why it was weak and it was useless. And in all these ways, it was signifying this to the people, that it had to be done repeatedly, that the offerings were brute beasts, that the priest had to make an offering for himself as a sinner. These things testify to the people of the weakness and the uselessness of these things in the taking away of sin. How could perfection come by such things? By a never-ending, ceaseless rotation of sin and sacrifice. How could the people ever have any peace, any comfort, any consolation in such things? When an animal is offered for his sins by a priest who must first offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he can do anything on your behalf. How could they have any confidence in these things that this would actually remove their sin? Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. It tells us of these things. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. So instead of giving them peace and comfort, it torments them because it reminds them of their sin year by year by year and the inability inability for these things to actually remove their sins. And in this way, it points them to a greater hope to the need of something greater, a greater high priest and a greater sacrifice for sins, which is why all of these things are denied concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not need to offer sacrifices in the same way, in the same order, in the same method as those priests who served under the law. He didn't need to do it daily. He did not offer many animals, and he did not have to do it for himself. And this is what he describes in the remainder of verse 27. Notice there. 
It says, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. First, we see how his offering was different. The former priest offered daily sacrifices, but he offered his sacrifice once for all. The one sacrifice he offered satisfied the demands of God's justice. His sacrifice paid the debt of sinners in full. His sacrifice is able to remove all of the guilt of sin so that there is nothing that is remaining to be paid in the future. All of the sins of all of God's people are paid by this one offering that was offered one time, not needed to be done over and over and over again. If Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient, then he would need to be offered repeatedly. But that he is not offered repeatedly shows us that this sacrifice can actually take away our sins. There will not be any other sacrifice in the future. Christ has made the one sacrifice for for all. This ceaseless, continual rotation of sin and sacrifice has been broken by our Lord Jesus Christ. God does not regard us in our sins anymore. In Christ, there is full forgiveness in his offering, and there is no longer any need for a future offering for sin. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 11 to 18. We'll we'll be talking about these things more in full. In Hebrews chapter 10, we keep going to Hebrews 10, but he's dealing with these things here as well. Hebrews 10 verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Where there is full forgiveness, there's no longer any need for an offering for sin. His one offering is sufficient to take away all of our sins. Not only the sins that we've committed in the past, not only the sins that we commit in the present, but what other sins has he taken away? even the ones that we will commit in the future, even the sins that we have not yet committed that will be future to us, all of these are already covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why he does not need to offer himself repeatedly because in his one sacrifice for all time, there is sufficient payment made to cover all of our sins, past, present, and future. This is why it is one offering instead of daily offerings like those high priests. Secondly, we see that what he offered was different from the priests under the law. They offered the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sin, but he offered up himself, his own body, his own blood, his life for our life. The former priests had nothing of their own to offer, seeing that they were bankrupt, seeing that they were paupers, 
They were completely destitute. They had nothing good at all. So God furnished, provided offerings for them from the lesser creatures. And even though among those lesser creatures, they had the best of them. They had those that were in their prime, those that were young, a year old, without any spot or blemish, without any defect. Yet it was still only the blood of calves and sheep and goats. And what can these things do for the real taking away of the sin from our souls? And so the people, under any true conviction of sin, could never find relief in these sacrifices offered for how could these animals, though greatly multiplied, ever take away their sins? But now the Lord Jesus has offered a greater sacrifice. He had something to offer that was his own, right? That belonged to him. He did not have to borrow from creation. He did not have to take from some lesser creature. He offered up himself, his own body, his own blood as the sacrifice that is able to make atonement for all our sins. This is as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, the body of Jesus Christ. It was his body offered for us, and his body was a real human body. It was not an animal body, but it was a human body, a human nature like our nature. Now it is man for man. But this body is precious. It is very valuable because this is the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man in the one person. Now, again, in all this, we must remember that there is no sacrifice that could ever bring us to God and save us to the uttermost except the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ, fulfilling the role of high priest and fulfilling the role as sacrifice, he must take on both of those roles in order for us to be saved to the uttermost. If he is only our high priest, but he is not offering himself, then we cannot be saved because he would be offering animals and those animals could never take away our sins. It is only Jesus Christ as both high priest and as the offering that can take away and redeem us from the curse of the law. The person of the priest and the offering itself must be one and the same, and it must be the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else can redeem us. Our redemption necessitated the divine word of God taking on human flesh. It required a body being prepared for Christ. And the purpose of him having this body prepared for him was so that he might serve as both high priest and as the sacrifice for our sins. That our high priest might offer up himself, his own body and his own blood for us. He is the perfect and the only solution for our sin. Nothing more is required on the part of God, and nothing is lacking to give rest to the weary souls of men. Can we go and look at Christ and see his sacrifice and find peace for our souls, find rest, find comfort, find consolation? When we see him as our priest, not one who has to offer up a sacrifice for his own sins before he can offer a sacrifice for us. And when we see that he's not offering on our behalf some animal, but he's offering up his own body. 
And when we see that he did this only one time, and then after he offered himself, he was raised from the dead, does this not give us great comfort and hope that if we put our faith in Christ, we shall be saved to the uttermost from all of the things that we could not be saved from under the law of Moses? What sin do you have? What sin do I have? What sin does any believer have that cannot be covered by the blood of Christ? That Christ's blood is not sufficient to take it away and to remove it so that there is no longer any consciousness of that sin. It is only in him that we can have all of our sins forgiven. And this is why he said in Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He will remember them no more because Christ has paid for them. He has satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment, his justice against our sins. And there is no longer any remembrance, no longer a remembrance of those things because they have been removed through the, blood, the body and the blood of Christ. Hebrews 7.28. Hebrews 7.28 says, For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Here, he summarizes everything that he has stated in chapter 7. Why it is to the great advantage of the church for Aaron's priesthood to be set aside. He must decrease and Christ must increase. Why it is good that the priesthood of Christ be ushered in. Right? What is the great difference between the priesthood under the law and the priesthood under the gospel? Right? Under both covenants, the old and the new, there is the need for a high priest. But there is a vast difference between the priesthood under the old and the priesthood under the new covenant. Well, notice what he says in summary concerning the old covenant. The law appoints men as high priests who are weak. The law, this is the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. It was that law, that word that came from God that ruled the worship and the life of the people from Sinai until the establishment of the new covenant. The law appointed. The law made a provision for a priesthood. Right Again, since the entrance of sin into the world, it is necessary for sinners to draw near to God through the mediation of a high priest, through a high priest who offers gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the worshiper. Since sacrifice is necessary... And since these sacrifices must be offered on behalf of the worshiper by a high priest, then God graciously provided high priests under the administration of the law for the people of Israel. The law was the word or the rule that governed who would fill this role and what it is that they were to do as high priests for the people. And we know from our study that the law appointed Aaron and his sons to serve in the position as high priest over Israel. And this is why he says, the law appoints men as high priest. Men, mere men, mortal men. Men who share a common lineage, both from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also who share a common lineage from Adam. We must understand that. Right? The nature of Aaron and his sons. Was it any different than any of the other Israelites? They shared a common nature, a common heritage from all of their brothers. There was nothing in the person of Aaron that set him apart. 
Everything that set him apart was given to him by a gracious gift and by a calling of God. The rank of high priest, the glory, the honor, the privileges associated with that office, all of them were conferred and granted to Aaron, but none of them were given to him because of anything peculiar or unique that made him superior to all others. He was raised above his brothers by the calling of God, only by his mercy and his choice. And that's important for us to understand. It was not that Aaron distinguished himself from all others. It was not that he was the only Israelite who was sinless, or he was the only one who was holy, or undefiled, or separated from the rest. None of those things were true. All of the people were unholy, and who else was unholy? Aaron and all of his sons. All of them were defiled. All of them were guilty. All of them were a common lot of sinners, and Aaron was no different than the rest of the men of Israel. And it was not because of any superiority in him that God granted to him this office. Nothing that distinguished him from any other except the choice of God, the unmerited grace of God that set him apart from all others. The office made him unlike the others. It granted to him certain privileges and rights that were denied the other Israelites, but his nature was no different than them. He was equally a child of Abraham with the rest, and most importantly, he was equally a child of Adam, dead in his trespasses and sins. He was a mere man. The law appoints men as high priest, a man who came from the same root as all other men. He came from Adam. And this is why he says, the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, who are weak. And the chief weakness that we have is the weakness of our sin and death. Sin and death, those two things that always go together, this was the chief weakness that was manifested and evident in the life of Aaron. Aaron was a sinful man. This is why he had to offer sacrifices for his own sins. This is why there was a provision in the law for a succession of the priesthood that would pass from Aaron to his son, to his grandson, and on and on and on throughout the generations. Because death prohibited any one man from filling and occupying that office perpetually. They were obnoxious to sin, and they were obnoxious to death. And this is why that priesthood could never perfect the people. It could never overcome sin and death because it was filled, it was occupied by weak, useless men who were full of sin and death. Romans 8 verse 3, the law weakened by the flesh. The law is weakened by the flesh. The priesthood established under the law was weakened by the flesh of Aaron. This is why it was a weak priesthood that could not atone for sin. It could not perfect the people. It could not cleanse their conscience. It could not give to them any right to draw near to God because it was weakened by the sin of man. Now we might ask, if the weakness of men makes the office ineffectual, right, so that it does not bring about actual redemption and salvation, then why did the law appoint weak men? Right? If the weakness of man robs the office of priesthood of power, then why did God appoint weak men to this office in the first place? And this is because there was nothing else to be had. 
Where could God go in all of the world at this time and find one man qualified to serve as high priest over the household of God? What could he choose from? From what pool of men was there that were so preeminent and so superior and so holy in nature that any of them were fit to serve as high priest over the people of God? Before Jesus came into the world, before his incarnation, there was no one else to choose from. And so God made this concession for the sake of the people. And this is all for a purpose. The point is to show the weak men, the men that served under the law, to show and to display for 1,400 years that our redemption must come out of heaven. It must come from God. If we are going to have a high priest who can actually save us to the uttermost, he cannot originate from this earth. This is as we read earlier from Psalm 95. I look to the hills, he says. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord of heaven above. Our help, our redemption must come down out of heaven. We need not an earthy man, according to 1 Corinthians 15, What type of man do we need to save us, to fill this office? we got to have the heavenly man, the man who came down out of heaven. Israel as a nation was distinguished and raised above all the other nations of the earth. In that nation, the tribe of Levi was distinguished from all the other tribes as those who were devoted to the sacred things. In the tribe of Levi, Aaron's family was raised above all of the rest as those who would handle the most sacred things. And yet from this nation and from this tribe and from this family over a 1,400-year period of time, there was not one single man ever found who could bring the office of high priest to its proper end, who could actually atone for the sins of the people and bring about the forgiveness of sins. And this is why we are taught, cursed is the man who trusts in men. There is no hope, there is no help for us from wretched man. We cannot save ourselves, and no other man is able to save us, even a man as preeminent as Aaron, even him occupying the office of high priest, he cannot save us. The high priest we need, who can actually redeem us, cannot come from Adam's cursed race. He cannot be a weak, sinful, mortal man. And this is the great weakness of the priests under the law. They were men. And as men, they were sinners. They were weak men, and they could never bring about the forgiveness of sins. In contrast to this, notice what he says in 728. The word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. The law appointed Aaron. This was the word from God. Aaron's priesthood was a legitimate priesthood, but God did not attach his oath to the appointment of Aaron's priesthood. He did attach his oath to the appointment of Jesus Christ to the priesthood. It was the oath of God that appointed Jesus to this office. God swore, and he will not change his mind, that he will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember chapter 7, verse 21. Chapter 7, 21, he made this point. For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. 
So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. God attached more glory, more luster. He reserved glory for Christ that he did not grant to Aaron or any of his sons. When he made him a priest, he gave to him his oath. And in this way, God is testifying that this priesthood is far superior to that of Aaron's. Here, he says the word of the oath, which came after the law. Right after the law, after the law was given at Sinai in around 1400 B.C., after that time, around the time of David, about 900 B.C., about 500 years later, 500 years after Aaron and his sons had been serving at the altar, God reveals through the prophet David in Psalm 110 verse 4 his oath concerning the priesthood of Jesus Christ. If Aaron's priesthood was without fault... If it was sufficient to take away sin, then why is God speaking of another priest of a different order and swearing to him that he will make him a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek? He's doing so because he's testifying after the establishment of the law that the priesthood of Aaron is insufficient, that it is weak and it is useless in the actually saving of sinners, and that there is a greater high priest who is coming who will serve forever and be after a different order, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And so we have a double confirmation, both before and after the law. Before the giving of the law, we have Melchizedek. The existence of Melchizedek and his interaction with Abraham that took place in Genesis chapter 14, which is what he dealt with at the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 7, proving that that priesthood of Melchizedek was a superior priesthood to the priesthood of Levi because of the interaction of Abraham and Melchizedek. Then after the law, we have the oath of God, confirming the superiority of this priesthood of Jesus Christ over and above Aaron. Now, finally, notice what he says. Why is it that this priesthood is so much greater? It is the person. It is the person who is filling and occupying the office that makes it so great. The word of the oath appoints a son made perfect forever. The law appoints men, but the word of the oath appoints a son. And who is the son? but the very Son of God, the very Son of God who was spoken of at the very beginning of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And what is the name that he has inherited? It is the name of son. God has called him his son. Was Aaron the radiance of God's glory? Was Aaron the exact representation of his nature? No, he was not any of those things. But the son 
was those things. Jesus was the radiance of God's glory. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the nature of God because he is God himself. He is God in human flesh. And as God, he possesses, as the Son of God, the divine nature, the same divine nature as God the Father. This is what people knew and understand. When Jesus was calling himself the Son of God, they knew that he was making himself equal with God. In John chapter 5, verse 18, this is why they wanted to kill him. Because not only, they said, was he breaking the Sabbath, but was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, which of these two is superior? Who possesses more power? Who is able to save to the uttermost? Aaron, who is a mortal man, or Jesus, who is the Son of God? Which high priest can save us? Into whose hands do we want to commit our eternal destiny? Do you want your eternal salvation dependent upon a mere man? Or do you want it dependent upon the Son of God? With the Son of God occupying the office of high priest, then what is lacking for our redemption? What is lacking? What, is, what does he not possess that can save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. All the power necessary to save us forever is found in Jesus Christ. As a man, he is fit to serve as high priest on behalf of man. As a man, he is fit to offer up his own body as a sacrifice for our sins. But as the Son of God, he fills the office with power and might so that he can accomplish the full redemption of those that he serves. He is the Son who is made perfect forever. He is perfect forever without any spot or stain of sin. This in contrast to the law who appointed men who were weak, weak, sinful men in contrast to the perfect, sinless Son of God. Again, who do we want representing us? Who will we depend on to save us? Who do we want interceding on our behalf? Do we want a high priest interceding for us? who before he can go and intercede for us, has to first go and offer an animal for his own sins. And then can he only go and serve on our behalf? What hope, what peace, what comfort could be found in such weak, worthless, elemental things? And this is why in Acts 15 verse 10, the apostles there call it a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. It is a yoke of slavery that does not lead to the forgiveness of sins. A never-ending, ceaseless rotation of sin and sacrifice. Weak and useless sacrifices offered by weak, useless priests that could never atone for sin, that could not provide any relief for the sinner. But the Son of God as our high priest, who is sinless, who is perfect, who is powerful, who is holy and innocent and undefiled and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, offering not the blood of an animal, but offering his own body and his own blood as the price for our redemption. There is an eternal source of salvation. That is the hope for sinful men. This is the place where we can go and find relief, and he can give us rest from the heavy burden and wages of our sins. And this is why the apostles testify that through him, everyone who believes is freed 
from all the things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. They could not be freed from their sins through the law of Moses, either by their keeping of that law or by the provisions made in that law for the forgiveness of sins, because these animals could never take them away. But who is able to take away our sins? Only our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we should put all of our hope, all of our confidence, we should rest on Christ alone. And this is why in Hebrews 4.16, he tells us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace. God's throne has become to us through Christ. It has become the throne of grace. And it is a throne of grace for us because at the right hand of that throne is our great high priest sitting at God's right hand who always lives to intercede for us. And seeing him there gives us great confidence and great boldness that God will accept us and that God approves of us and that he is pleased with us for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. That is help for sinners. That is relief for weary souls. Only the high priest of Jesus Christ and only the offering of his body as a sacrifice for our sins once for all. So let us live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we again come before you, Lord, marveling at your wisdom, Lord, at your goodness, at your grace. Lord, in how you have, Lord, revealed yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, how it is that you Lord, have made this way in which sinners who have been separated from you, Lord, who are under your wrath and deserving of your curse, Lord, how it is that we can be reconciled to you, Lord, how we who are enemies by nature can become your children, and how it is that we can draw near to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for providing such a high priest for us, Lord, that your oath has appointed as our high priest, your son, Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. Lord, who did not need to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he was holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners. Lord, that he did not need to offer animals because he had something of his own to offer, his own body that was prepared for him in his precious blood. And Lord, who does not need to do so daily, because in his one offering, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through him. Lord, we thank you that with him there is no remembrance of our sins, that there is full forgiveness. Lord, that all of our sins of the past, Lord, all of our sins in the present, Lord, even those sins that we will commit in the future, Lord, because we know that we still have a flesh, And Lord, that there is not any man who does not sin. And yet, Lord, we see that in this sacrifice, a provision has been made for us. Lord, there is satisfaction there. And that all of our sins, Lord, as great as they are, Lord, though they reach up to the heavens themselves, Lord, that where our sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
And Father, we thank you that the end of this grace is that, Lord, we might live in righteousness before you all the days of our life. So, Father, we thank you for this salvation that you have provided for sinners. Lord, we thank you that you have freed us from everything that we could not be freed from under the law of Moses. Lord, we thank you that we live under such a, Lord, such a a time and a season. Lord, after the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, after his incarnation, after his death and resurrection, after his ascension to your right hand, Lord, we thank you that we live in such a privileged state, Lord, under the gospel, Lord, to have such access to you, Lord, such freedom from fear and from bondage and from slavery to sin, Lord, that our conscience has been wiped clean through the blood of Christ. Lord, we, we know that, Lord, so long as we are in this life, Lord, that our flesh still rages within us. And Lord, we know that our flesh hates nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, that our flesh wants to prove itself to you. Lord, it wants our acceptance before you to be based upon our own works because the flesh is filled with pride and arrogance. But Lord, may we always be reminded, and Lord, we pray that you would help us to live by faith. Lord, that our standing before you is secure. Lord, that it is stable, it is fixed, it is certain and unchangeable. Because we are reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. And that he is our representative, that he is our high priest. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchangeable, and therefore, our relationship to you is unchangeable. Lord, it is certain and it is fixed. And that, Lord, we who are your children can never fall from this state of grace because all of it is accomplished for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that this grace that you have granted to us, Lord, that it would manifest itself in our lives through faithfulness to you, Lord, through godliness and devotion to good works. So, Lord, help us to walk with you in light of these things. And, Lord, may we do so out of love for you because of all that you've provided for us. Lord, keep us ever in this state, in this frame of mind. Lord, always depending and relying upon Christ. And Lord, may we always see him there exalted in the heavens at your right hand by faith, so long as we are in this life. So Lord, bless us. Lord, grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.